Well, yesterday we went to the water park in Swansea, you know, in Swansea in the Ledger Centre there. And in that water park, there's one, uh, there's lots of slides and the waves are on and lots of things like that, but there's one place that's called the Lazy River. And what happens in the Lazy River is it's like a, a current that takes you around this, um, like kind of a path. So if you go in in this, in this water and it pushes you around, there's some fans pushing you around, and if you just lie there, it'll just take you all the way around. Yeah, it's like a current and it's a lazy river because you can lie there and do nothing and it just takes you, that's the idea. Uh, but if you want to go against the current, if you want to go against the flow, it's really hard work. So a few times when maybe Thomas was a bit far ahead or Lily was a bit far behind trying to keep them together, it's hard because if they go on, it's hard to get back because the current is pushing you one way. And as I was in that last, uh, yesterday, I thought, well, it's helpful start to think about what we're thinking about today. Because if we trust in Jesus and if we're following God's ways, we're in a world that doesn't know God, in a world that has rejected Jesus. And so following God's ways, we're going to go against the current. If we don't do anything, if we just sit back and don't listen to what God has to say, we will go with the current. And it's easy in one sense just to go with the current, but to go against it is hard work. It'll take effort. It'll take thinking. So when we come to this passage, we're going against the flow. And that's why it feels sometimes it's against the grain and it's, it's unusual to hear these things. But it's really helpful for us, again, to come to God's word and say God loves us and he wants us to hear this. Look what we're told in verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We're to imitate God. We're to show others what God is like. We are to, be, to show the likeness of the Father. You know what it's like, don't you, when you... Um, realize that you are slowly becoming into your mum or your dad. You know, you say something, you think, oh, that's just like my parents would have said. That's just like, or you, you do something, you think, oh, I've, I'm turning into them. Well, we're showing the family's likeness, aren't we? And in the same way, we're told here, Paul is saying, look, be imitators of God. You need to show what God is like to the world around you. Reflect who he is. So in this passage, in verses 1 to 14, we see two ways that we're supposed to show what God is like. The first one, look at verse 2, he says, walk in love. God is love. Short verse, isn't it? A short thought from the Bible you can remember. God is love. And so if we are to be his children, if we are his children, we're to show true love to those around us. And secondly, in verse 8, we're told to walk as children of light. So walk in the light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So to walk in the light, not in the darkness, not hiding away, but living our lives in the light. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what it means to be images of God, walking in love and walking in the light. Now remember where we are in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're just jumping in here, um, we miss the whole kind of thrust of what's going on. Remember, this letter was written to Christians in Ephesus in the first century. And they wouldn't have gone through it taking seven months they would have read it, all sitting there, listening, and Paul would have written this letter, and they'd have read it out. And then they might have said, oh, can you read it again? I missed that bit. And they'd have read it in one go. And chapters 1 to 3 is saying, look at what God has done for you. Look at what, how great it is, how much you are loved by God in all that he's done for you. You are adopted, you are rescued, you're, you're redeemed. He has saved you, you are safe in him, you're on your way to heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of what you've done. That's chapters 1 to 3. You're saved by grace, not works. Then chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6, Paul says, Now, 
I urge you, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of everything you've heard. Because you've received this life-changing gift, because you have now um, experienced uh, all of what he's done for you, that must make a difference. The problem is we can, li- we can know truths of chapters 1 to 3, but not live like it. In the same way, you might, be, um, might have received, imagine you've received a big inheritance, okay, and you've got loads of money in the bank, but then for some reason or another, you can't access it. And then you can't pay your bills that month. You have this bank, you have this money in your bank, you can't get to it because you're not having access to it. You're not living like it's true because you can't get access to it. In the same way, you have all this spiritual riches, but we sometimes don't walk in a manner that's worthy of it. We don't show it in our lives. So let's look at what it means to live worthily and to be imitators of God. First of all, we need to walk in love. What's the motive behind that? Verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are to love and walk in love because God has loved us. We can only love because he's first loved us. Now, what is love? Well, love is always outward-looking. Love is serving others. It is looking for the good in others. It is wanting others to do well. It is wanting to sacrifice for the sake of others. It means thinking of how can I make, help this person without getting anything in return. I just want to love. It is always outward-looking rather than inward-looking, which is selfishness. And that's how God has loved us. He thought of our needs. He put our needs before his own. That's what we see in Jesus. And he gave his life for us. So what does Paul pick up on first? How can we not show that love? How can that love be turned inward and become greedy rather than outward? Well, look what he says in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. So he's saying, look, these are ways that we can end up not showing love, not thinking and caring about others' needs, but instead just thinking about our own. And so he picks up the first one there, sexual immorality. The Greek word there, it's one word, pornea, which means any sex outside of the context that God intended it for. That's what he's meaning there. That's what he's, and what's the context that God intended it for? We're told at the end of this chapter, chapter 5, verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quoting from Genesis. So there, Paul is quoting Genesis, and he's saying this is God's design. This is where sex works best and where it should be between a man and a woman committed together for life in marriage. That's it. And anything outside of that falls into this category of pornea, the sexual immorality. So it's God's way of saying, it's God's design and God's way of saying two people committed totally to one another in their lives and for the rest of their lives. It's God's way of saying, this is how you can show and act out and live out. I am totally and utterly committed to you, to this one person. Not just physically, but socially, uh, legally, financially. We're committed, we're stuck together. We're keeping together. And that is what, how God has designed sex to be. It's a whole body commitment, a whole life commitment. And it's the Bible saying you can't separate um, body and soul. It is one. And the Bible holds it up as a wonderful gift from God. It's a gift. And the Bible says it's good. And there's passages in the Bible that celebrate it. And when used properly, it unites and it builds others up. See, in the same sense, a fire is good, isn't it, in the right context? 
a fire in a fireplace is great because it keeps you warm you can maybe cook on it you can use it well but outside of that context if you have a fire on the sofa i might suggest that is not a good idea and it doesn't quite work as well because it's not safe there god has a right context for us to use this in and he says i want you to do it like that now in ephesus this was a radical thing to hear they wouldn't have sat there thinking oh yes we understand that these are people who were um, who were pagans or gentiles you know, they, they didn't know about god's ways and god's word and so when they would have heard this it was a reminder to them oh yeah god is calling us to something different to what we're seeing all around us you see in the first century uh, in roman empire sex was just like an appetite okay it was it's all about me and my desire and my urges so again instead of loving others it was using others instead of thinking of their needs it was thinking of their our own needs so roman men apparently would use and abuse women um, especially those in the lower rank however they wanted to please their own urges and, and desires slaves and prostitutes would be used in the same way that a toilet would be used i read this week in roman in the roman empire well we'll get there we'll get there and and, and there's just that's what people use they just they just used it it's like my desire and i'm going to do it and in the same do you remember in ephesus we've sp spoken about the the temple of diana uh, the goddess diana and this temple was there where they went to worship this goddess in ephesus is one of the seven wonders of the world so was, you couldn't miss it but what would they do when they went in to worship this goddess well diana was the goddess of fertility you'd go in you'd burn incense incense and then you'd find a temple prostitute to use so for paul to say hang on the view that's around haven't got it right they have misusing a good gift from god in the wrong way and it is causing utter um, carnage around so it was a huge shift in mindset for the church in ephesus to hear this see people in ephesus were all around were using it in sex in not a loving way but in a selfish way i want it i'll have it no matter what well we'll chat we'll chat about that later here we'll chat about that later but we'll get to what you're asking about now so this is radical then but it's radical today as well isn't it and perhaps you're sitting there thinking hold on a minute this sounds a bit fuddy-duddy a bit old-fashioned can't we just let people get on with whatever they want to get on with if they're happy let them get on with it this is archaic it's restrictive no thank you but you see if it's god's invention and god's design we need to listen to him if it's god's invention and god's design he knows what's best now our culture might say just let people get on with it follow your desires but can we for a moment just look at the consequences of what's happening in our culture as a result of that see our world around don't know god they don't trust him they don't love him they don't know they're in the darkness as we'll look at in a moment but look at the damage it's doing there are lives and families being torn apart torn apart because of the misuse of god's good gift here we're seeing how the lives of people abusing um, their power to get whatever they want from those underneath them in power like we see in in hollywood like we've seen in different celebrities like we see with politicians like we even see in the church people misusing and abusing their power to satisfy their own cravings we see yeah we see women abused we see them being treated as objects and not loved we see children hurt not only abused but children hurt because of unfaithfulness in marriages where one person said i have this desire this urge and i'm following it and the consequences well is a mess 
And all around us, we just see chaos and we see um, brokenness and hurt and pain. When we take God's good gift and take it out of the context it was meant for, there's danger. And that's why there's a warning here this morning. There's destruction. We think we know what's best as humans. We think I can do whatever I want, but just look at what it's doing to us. Jack Nicholson, the famous Hollywood actor, he, in his day, apparently, he was the man, you know, and every looked to him and thought, oh, he is, he's good looking, he was successful, he could do whatever he wanted, he could have whoever he wanted, and listen to what he says, um, I've had everything a man could ask for, but I don't know if anyone could say I'm successful with the affairs of the heart. I don't know why, I would love that one last real romance, but I'm not very realistic about it. What I can't deny is my yearning. I've been in love in my life, but it always starts with an obsession that lasts 18 months and then changes. You see, he thought it would satisfy, but it hasn't. And that's why as we come on, it talks about impurity or covetousness. This, this greed, just wanting more and more and more, and it doesn't work, it doesn't satisfy. We're people made in God's image. We're not to use other people, we're to love them. We're to put their needs before our own. And this is radical. Look at verse 3. It says, these things mustn't be even named among you. That is, you mustn't be known for these things. That's what he's getting at there. You're to walk in love. Verse 4, don't even joke about it. When you joke about it, it belittles it. So we need to think about our language and our no crew joking, uh, which is out of place. Don't even, um, don't belittle it. This is something important to God. And when we talk about covetousness, greed, it's desiring what other people have. Can you see how that's not loving others? When we want what others have, we just, we aren't loving, loving them or caring for them. We're just thinking about our, ourselves. And jealousy will just, just, just destroy relationships envy. and envy. Yeah. If we're thankful, look what it says in verse 4. What's the kind of response to this? What, what's the uh, counteraction? Instead, let there be thanksgiving. So we're to be thankful to God for His good gifts. We're to re realize that what He has given us is a gift to be used in the right context, uh, with sex, but as well with other things that He's given us. He's given us what we have, and we're to be thankful, and that changes our minds. So it means that we realize that God is a good God who has good, given us good gifts to use in His way. It means we see His generosity to us. It means we see we can trust Him. Now, just as we talk about um, this uh, sexual immorality and impurity there, just need to remember something. Our culture at the moment will say this. The kingdom of this world says that sex is everything. And if you don't have it, that's not life at all. You're not living. You can't be fulfilled. But let me just remind you, who is the most complete human who has ever existed? Who is the one who lived life as it should be lived and was the most complete and fulfilled? It was Jesus Christ. And he was single. He was on his own in that sense. And the Bible tells us that there's no marriage in heaven. The Bible tells us that the call to a single life is a special calling that brings with it, yes, unique challenges. Well, we can chat about that later, because otherwise we'll go on all different tangents here, okay? Yeah, we're going to have a chat later. I think we've got a lot to chat about, yeah. But as we say, there's a, there's, this call to singleness is a unique calling, but it's a, a calling there is also one which is special, has special blessings. Listen to how Isaiah 56 puts it. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keep my Sabbaths, who chooses the things that please me, 
and hold fast to my covenant. For those who are single, he says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. We don't need sex to be satisfied and fulfilled. We can live a life without it. Our culture will say that's ridiculous, but God's word shows us it isn't. So we need to hold on to that. As we... Uh, yes, um, again, we can chat later here, okay? In verse 5... In ver- yeah, we'll get there. But in verse 5, look what we see now in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ with God. Now listen to the seriousness of those words. Saying, look, if you live in this way, then you're not part of God's kingdom. I wonder how you feel when you hear those words. Maybe you think, well, that's it. That's me out. I've failed in these areas. You know, um, and remember when Jesus spoke about sexual immorality, he says it's not just what you do, it's thoughts as well. So it's, he takes it to another level. And when you think about um, those who are uh, covetous and idolatry, have you ever thought, if I have this, it will satisfy my heart, and you've gone after it and after it and after it, and it basically has become your God? Have you ever done that with anything? Well, we all have, haven't we? So hang on, if this is, if this is what he's saying, well, we can't be God, part of God's kingdom if we do this, what, what's going on? Well, he is so showing us here, this isn't about people who have sometimes failed in these areas. This is about people who don't know God and are living as if he isn't king. So God is ki- if God is king, he speaks and we listen to him and we do what he says and we try and do what he says. But, no, but some people will um, just ignore him totally and there's a difference. So this morning, you might have failed in these areas. And you think, well, is that me then? I'm not part of God's kingdom. Well, no, it's not talking about those who failed and then see, Lord, I want to live in your way. It's people who don't care and don't know about God's ways. He's saying, look, they can't be part of God's kingdom if he's not their king. So this is a, actually a, a way of assuring believers to say, look, you know different now. You know differently, so live differently. Now, what is there that we need to um, turn from today? What is there in our lives that we think, I need, I need help with this? Remember, the same person who wrote these words, Paul, was the one who wrote Romans 7, who said, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want to do is what I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You know, we know what it is to struggle. We know what it is to fight that. And look what we see see in um, in verse uh, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Be careful what you listen to and the influences there. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedient. They're showing how serious God takes this. Saying if we keep on misusing and abusing this, um, that's the danger. But some, you might look at that and think, well, that sounds so harsh. Here's a God who's angry and uh, wrathful. What's going on there? But you see, again, like we thought last week, his wrath and his anger shows that he cares. He is looking at situations where people are being misused and abused. He's looking at those slaves and those prostitutes in the first century and even today, where people are just being used for others' gratification. And that makes him angry. Maybe this morning, you have been in a position where somebody has abused you in a way that nobody else knows about. Maybe they have misused you and mistreated you. God is not cold to that. He cares. And that is a comfort to us to know that there is wrath coming on for those um, who have gone against that. He loves you. He knows. He understands. 
Now, maybe in this area this morning, you feel like a total failure. Well, listen on, because we're going to get to where there's hope here. Because we're called, first of all, as believers, to walk in love. Love others, not using them. But secondly, we're called to walk in light. Now, um, look at verse uh, uh, 7 here. Therefore, don't associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. In the darkness, things fester, things grow, and we don't see clearly, but we're being told, no, 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 don't walk in the darkness, bring things into the light. You know, we, we don't shine from ourselves, notice. We shine because of the light of the Lord. That's what it says, isn't it? We were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So in the same way, the moon doesn't have its own source of light, does it? It reflects the light of the sun. In the same way as Christians, we behold Jesus Christ, we look on Jesus and what he says, and we are to reflect that light to others. So how do we shine the light of Jesus? How are we to live in the light? Well, look what he goes on to say. Um, he says, try, verse 10 helps us here, try to discern what is pre pleasing to the Lord. So we bring the light of Christ into every area of our lives. We say, is this discerning? Is this pleasing to the Lord? So as we think of how he's applied that earlier, is this conversation pleasing to the Lord? I'm bringing it into the light. Is this topic, is this what I'm joking about, what I'm laughing about, is that pleasing to the Lord? Is this TV program I'm watching pleasing to the Lord? Is this relationship I'm in pleasing to the Lord? Is this website I'm looking at pleasing to the Lord? Is this book I'm reading pleasing to the Lord? We bring it to the light and we say, God, how do you want me to live? And if we're like, oh, I'm not sure, it, we probably should be saying, no, that's, that's a thing of darkness. How do we know what God wants? How do we discern what we ask him? We bring it into the light. We look at his word and we say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And as we do that, we shine. We shine light. And verse 9 shows us what that looks like. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Is this good? Is it right? Is it true? That's what God's like, isn't it? He is perfectly good. He is perfectly right, perfectly true. And so is what I'm doing pleasing to him? Is how I'm living pleasing to him? And as Christians, as we live that out, it will expose darkness. You see, if you see someone living sacrificially, if you see someone being generous to someone else, if you see somebody forgiving radically somebody who's hurt them, do you know what that does to your selfishness and bitterness and unforgiveness? It exposes it, doesn't it? Don't you see, don't you, and you're aware suddenly, oh, I, am, I have not been living like that. As we live in the light, it will shine light on the darkness around it. Uh, that's why it says, isn't it, that um, in verse uh, 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible by the, uh, is light. So we expose the darkness that's around by living as God wants us to live. I don't know if you've had the experience where somebody finds out you're a Christian and then they swear in front of you or uh, use the name of Jesus and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry. It's interesting, isn't it? Just being there, it's only a small thing, just being there is enough for people to realize that what they've said might have upset you or how they're talking might have had an effect that, that that's light in the darkness now we don't condemn yeah that's right we don't condemn people they don't know any different but just they're aware sometimes just the light there in the darkness now today let's ask this question 
are you living as a child in the light? Are you living as a child of the light? Or are you hiding areas from God? Bring them into the light this morning. Tell him. Don't let it fester in the darkness. Talk to someone. Pray to him. Things grow in the dark. They become big. They become um, hidden. But in the light, we see the reality of uh, the horror of, what's, uh, of the wrong that we do. Look what we're told in verse 14. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When we bring things into the light, when we're living in the light, when we're shining that light, we can know the joy of the presence of God with us, the joy of Christ with us. So this is showing us, look, knowing God and being with him is better than anything the world offers. Knowing that freedom, knowing the selfless love, living in a way that is serving others, even though in our minds we might say, oh, that that sounds like it's life-taking, the Bible says, no, that's life-giving, that's the best way to live. So today, Jesus isn't saying, I want you to rob yourself of any desire or any pleasure. He's saying, I want you to know a greater pleasure, the pleasure of knowing Christ with you, a joy that can fill your heart, a joy that can satisfy in a way that nothing else can. Now, there's two things I want to just reflect on as we close, because there might be two different responses here to what we're looking at. And one is this, I just don't trust God, if I'm honest. I can see what God is saying, and I don't trust him. I I don't think I could live like this. It's too hard. Well, remember uh, how we started in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Christ gave himself up for you. He loves you dearly. He wants what's best for you. He stopped at nothing so that you could be saved. And so as you try and grapple with and wrestle with these things, ask God to help you to trust him. Ask God to help you to remember that he he loves you dearly. And pray he'd help you in that. As you, train, as you battle through and want to trust it. But the second thing I want us to, to finish on is this. You might th- be sitting here this morning and think, well, I've failed in this. You know, this sexual immorality or this greed or this idolatry. I have fallen in this area and I've fallen here. Is there any hope for me? Because we can feel full of guilt and shame and we can feel helpless and we can end up retreating into the darkness, as it were. Well, let's look at that verse again in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Christ gave himself up for you. He has granted us by his power the gift of his spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are sealed with his Holy Spirit to help us to live in a way for for his glory. We have been given the power of the resurrection which is at work within us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And today, if you're trusting in Jesus all of your sins have been forgiven. Every single one. As we thought earlier, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We're accepted in him. For every look at ourselves, as Robert Murray McShane says, we need to take 10 looks at Jesus Christ. There is nothing too dark for him to forgive. Bring your faults, bring your failure to him, take them to the cross, and there know that you can be forgiven once and for all. And remember, Your past sins are forgiven, your present sins are forgiven, but also your future sins can be forgiven as well in that one moment. Remember the question that um, I asked that I heard, I can't remember where now, but somebody said, how many of your future sins 
were future sins when Jesus died on the cross? How many of you, sorry, how many of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross? How many of them? All of them. And when he died there, he took all your sin away. Every sin covered. You are saved by his, by his grace, not your works. You are loved with an everlasting love. You are righteous in his sight. Today, he offers light. He offers joy. And we can know Christ shining on us in our lives. Let's pray today that we can live lives as children of love, serving others, not using them, caring for others, not ourselves, to put in others before our needs before our own, and as children of light, shining, uh, reflecting the light of Jesus. Let's pray together as we close uh, that God would help us to live these things out. Father, we thank you that in Christ there is hope and forgiveness. We know, Lord, that these are areas that uh, are really hard and that many struggle with. We pray, Lord, please, that you'd help us to know today that you are a God who forgives. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we live our lives in this world uh, not to be judgmental or condemning of others, but, Lord, to lovingly uh, shine a light uh, in this dark world. We thank you, Lord, that you know what's best, and we pray you'd help us to trust you uh, and to, to know your ways are good and right and true. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.